Pickaxe. How? So, how are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, uh, I haven't slept in quite a while, but otherwise, doing all right. What's up you? with that? Why haven't you I don't slept in a while? <laughs> um, so I started. Uh, 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 I started paying a little bit more close attention to my health. Um, Good for you. Uh, but I've been logging it because I have a planner. Nothing happens unless I write it down because I've got bad memory problems. So um, I uh, uh, I write um, what I've been eating, uh, 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 how much caffeine I'm having, uh, how much I've slept, that sort of thing. And um, there's only one day this week where I actually slept. I tried to take a nap on another day. I think I lasted an hour and a half, maybe. But yeah, I, I don't know why. But I'm just I'm just not sleeping. <laughs> what is it that keeps you from sleeping? I'm busy. Like you're so busy that you literally do not sleep? Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, your dad. He's good. Um, sorry, he's not. He's not good. <laughs> um, I, I, I've been, I've been just getting on with my life. I mean, uh, since the, since the, since the cut, since the since the, uh, in, since the, since, since COVID broke out. Um, it's not been, we haven't been able to get carers out to my mum. So I've been a bit more busy taking care of her as well as, you know, running a stream, running a YouTube, um, taking care of rescue animals. Um, a lot of the charities that take on animals right now are understaffed because of COVID. So, um, I, 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 am getting a lot more people come to me when they have injured animals. So yeah, I've just been busy, very, 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 very busy. And weirdly, I feel more okay than I should be at this point. I feel like now I should be like really, really sleepy, but I'm okay. Yeah, um, I'm concerned about you, Anita. Ah, I um, I, 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 I used to be worried about this sort of thing, but I've actually grown quite used to it. I'm kind of a burnout queen. Um, even before I streamed, uh, life used to get like this every now and again, and weirdly, I'd always pull through. So I wouldn't worry too much because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be fine. Yeah, so is it okay for me to be worried about you if you're, even if you're going to be fine? Oh, then what's the point? Seems like a waste of worry. Well, because I, I, I'm concerned that, so you're, you're saying you're going to be fine. Let's accept that for a second. But mm -hmm. what worries me is that, like, what you're shooting for is fine. Survival. Mm -hmm. Right? I, and what I would want for you is more than survival. I guess, I guess, uh, 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 I'm very, I'm very, I'm very, 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 I'm very much more comfortable being s s busy. Yep. Um, and tired than still. So yes. for me, this is, this is okay. Um, it's okay. difficult, but it's okay. Is it okay if I, is there something in particular you want to talk about today, by the way? Uh, I didn't make any plans. Uh, I'm quite notorious for that. <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, I'm and, free to talk about whatever. You and me both. Um, right. So, then, can we talk a little bit about, I, I'm curious if it would be useful to talk about, like, why stillness feels uncomfortable for you. Sure. Yeah. What feels uncomfortable about being still? Why do you got to be moving all the time? I guess for a lot of reasons. I mean, I feel a lot of guilt if I stay still. I feel like I'm wasting time and um, letting people down. But also, uh, uh, it's been my coping mechanism for difficult. So if I am in a situation where I am not very 
comfortable, like emotionally, if there's something that's been going on, I just keep busy because then I can only give enough time to face it in increments, which allows me to face it without it hitting me too hard. And so I think in in part, it becomes a coping mechanism for uh, adversity, I guess. Sure. Uh, and, And that sounds pretty important because it sounds like maybe if you let it hit you all at once, it would be overwhelming. Yeah, true. So it sounds like it's a pretty important coping mechanism. Yeah, I think it's working out. I mean, uh, 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 I was, I was, I don't, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I used to be depressed for thirteen years. Um, I did. So yeah, I had, I had, I had a difficult background. Um, that and I remember. Yeah. So obviously, I think it's kind of natural to not be happy about that. But I did have really very severe depression for for thirteen years. I had a severe social phobia and anxiety, um, which is understandable, especially when I didn't have a diagnosis. And it was kind of scary to interact with people because I never knew how that was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was so much a failing or anything. I think it was just kind of a normal reaction to the situation I was in. And what I was a normal the- reaction? I'm sorry? To be depressed, to be I see. upset about it. And yeah, but luckily I got out of that. And even though, you know, I'm maybe not living the most conventional life, I'm pretty happy. Um, I don't feel depressed. I don't feel down. I don't wake up feeling kind of bad about the day. Um, I feel quite excited about what's going to happen next. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So like, even though it may on the outside seem very uncomfortable, um, it's actually really working for me to just stay busy and keep moving. Yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, can I just tell you what I heard? Mm Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you were depressed for a while. Um, You had somewhat of a tough upbringing. Um, You had some social phobias and you kind of managed to get out of that somehow. And now um, maybe when you're dealing with, as you put it, adversity or there are some kinds of emotions that you're experiencing, staying busy is like a really good way of coping with it. And, And I'm not hearing that you're really like suppressing or anything. It, it sounds like you, you genuinely find enjoyment in what you do. You're not like necessarily blocking things out or things like that. It's just like you wake up every day. You're pretty happy about what you do. You care for people and animals that you love and you make the world a better place. Um, and, and it kind of helps you feel fulfilled and happy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I think the only thing that's a little bit confusing for me is that like if you're still then guilt happens right so it 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 sounds to me like i i just have trouble reconciling those two things in your mind in my mind that that you know there can be sort of happiness and fulfillment but it sounds to me like if you're still and there's guilt and there's a feeling of letting people down then maybe Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of well i I don't know if suppression is the right word because it sounds like what you do is you you kind of manage it in your own way over time, right? That's the way that you deal with it is you kind of take chunks and then you kind of process a little bit and then chunks and then process a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I can't help but hear, so it sounds like it's a formula that works for you. Yeah. I mean, it, it can put, land me in a lot of trouble. How but, so? uh, well, it means I'm slow to anger. Um, one of the disadvantages of having Tourette syndrome is a lot of people don't know you get tick emotions. So I will get out of context joy or out of context anger. 
And the thing is, when you get a surge of emotion, it's quite natural for your brain to try and rationalize that. So if you get a rage, uh, if you get a, a surge of rage, you're like, it's because of this. And it could be something stupid. Like, I don't know, there's a scuff on the table. Your brain tries to rationalize things it doesn't really understand. So if you have an incomprehensible wave of emotion, you try to contextualize it. And the way I've managed that so that I don't rage out at people or just be really sad and burst into tears over nothing, is um, I sit beside my emotions, become detached from them, and watch them as if they're, I'm an, uh, an observer, like a scientist documenting a feeling. So I'm like, wow, uh, my heart rate has sped up. Um, I can feel a tingle in my teeth. My fingers have gone cold. I can feel my brain like rushing towards this kind of thought and that kind of thought. And I sit beside it and listen to it and make sense of it and go, is this a tick or is this a genuine feel? Hmm. And this means that I have a delay in my anger which means that when people are inappropriate towards me, I don't immediately react the way that I should. And I don't necessarily get to safety or um, challenge the situation in the way that I should because I question whether or not I should be mad and I need time to figure that out. And so someone might not figure out that they've been disrespectful um, or that they need to stop the certain behavior. I don't really communicate that um, unless it's in a very delayed sense quite often, which puts me in danger and has done fairly recently even. Um, and so, yeah, it does have disadvantages, um, but it it, 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 I feel like it's a side effect of, uh, of, um, of growing up with Tourette's because a lot of children especially have difficulties with like, especially tick rage. Um, but I've managed to be a very calm person by managing my emotions in this way. Um, but yeah, it means that, uh, um, because I deal with my emotions in increments and I make sense of them, especially adversity. I end up, I end up, I end up taking like weeks sometimes to figure out how I feel about things. And that delay can definitely be a disadvantage at times. Hmm. It, your thoughts seem very well formed. Thanks. I don't know how. The time has lost all meaning at this point. I'm pretty tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, I can hear that you've thought about it a lot or analyzed it a lot or really spent a lot of time trying to understand yourself and trying to figure out how to manage some of your internal environment. Mm. I think I'm just listening to my monologue. I think I'm just listening. I don't I don't know that I've necessarily put a lot of time into it. I mean, uh, 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 I, 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 I always get this thing where people tell me it sounds like I've rehearsed what I say on stream or that I've written it down or I've thought it through a lot. I haven't. Usually I'm just formulating that on the spot. Um, I think it's it's not so much that I'm putting lots and lots of energy into figuring stuff out. It's just that I'm genuinely listening to myself. Yeah, that that's interesting to hear because it, it does sound well thought out. It sounds, um, you know, so, so e even... Even if you're not consciously thinking about it, I, I think one of the consequences of observation is understanding. And what I'm hearing from you is that you understand yourself quite well and you've noticed different patterns that you have. You've noticed different strategies you've used uh, to cope with Tourette's and situations. And the, the interesting thing, Anita, and, and I don't know if this is, I kind of don't know exactly what we're talking about today, but let me tell you what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. If that's okay. So, yeah. you know, it sounds like you've been dealt a, a very unique hand of cards in life. Mm -hmm. And you've learned certain strategies to manage those hands, that hand of cards, how to play that uh -huh. hand. And you've done a really good job of, of playing the hand of cards that you've been dealt. Um, and so one of like, 
as you mentioned, like one example of this is that you learn how to just look at your emotions and not kind of give in to them. And the problem with your strategy, though, is that it sounds like sometimes, for the most part, it works really well, and it's allowed you to be successful and functional in this world, but that there are some kind of cracks at the seams. And, and I've heard you say some words that still concern me. And so mm. you said something about, you know, like burnout is sort of what you do. Like, so that doesn't sound like a great strategy to me. You know, there's, there's the sense of guilt and letting people down if you sit still, if you sit still. And then lastly, use the word danger. That sometimes the way that you, you distance yourself from emotions leads you to danger. And that's scary. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, because you're so articulate, granted, you may not have thought things out. You're maybe thinking them through as you speak. But that's a powerful word. Um, and, and I'm just not quite sure how to understand or how to think about, you know, a system that seems to work so well and allow you to help so many people, but then also tosses out words from your head like guilt, letting people down, being unable to sit still, getting yourself into danger and burnout. Yeah, pros and cons. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. It it has a lot of really powerful upsides for me, but also a lot of powerful downsides. I mean, to give you some scope of what my life looks like right now, I think if I genuinely described it, I think a lot of chat would assume that I'm not very happy or that it'd be difficult to be happy in my circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's hear about it. I'd love to, if you're okay with that. Okay. I, I'm worried. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit scared. This is a tentative situation. You see, if I start listing the things that I find difficult in life, there are going to be a bunch of people who hear this who think I'm fishing for pity. So I'm always very nervous about describing my life in detail. Um, because, yeah. Can uh, we talk about that for a second? Sure. Why would you think that people think you're fishing for pity? Because um, people are... I've noticed a reaction in people in real life and in, on the internet that if someone seems vulnerable, people are afraid of being manipulated. It's one of the hardest things to come up against with someone with Tourette's or any kind of disability on stream is that people are afraid of being manipulated. And so, you know, I get lots of people saying that I'm the next zillion OP and things like this. And I am. What does always that mean? There was once a streamer who, I don't know much about it, I wasn't on Twitch when it happened, but as far as I know, there was a streamer who pretended to have a disability in order to get donations for years, accidentally stood up on camera even though he was claiming to have a wheelchair. Um, I think that was the, what happened. Am I right, chat? There, I'm sure there are some veterans here who know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Um, basically, he forgot his camera was still on and stood up. And um, yeah, it, it, it came to light that, yeah, perhaps he might have been overplaying his condition. Although I'm not sure. I mean, people don't fact check on Twitch. And I do know that some people who, ne who need a wheelchair can stand up, but can't stand up for long periods of time, for example. So I don't know whether it was genuinely that he didn't have a disability or that people just expected a disability to present in a specific way and got outraged when he stood up. I don't know. But anyway, people quote that and they're like kind of accusing me of being fake all the time because, yeah, people are scared of being kind and empathetic and people are scared of being used. 
And so when when people talk about the hardships, I've certainly noticed a trend of not being met with kind of empathy, but rather suspicion. And so it's very, very scary to, to put your difficulties, to lay them out on the table sometimes, because... Do you think you're deserving of pity? Uh, no. Um, I think I'm doing all right. I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with the fact that I managed to live the life that I do and do as much as I do, despite everything. I, I think that's a point. I feel, I feel really good about that. Would you be okay if you were deserving of pity? I'd prefer empathy to pity. I, I sure. don't really, I don't really feel like I need pity, but I think that, you know, if people want to empathize with my situation, I think that's just natural. I empathize with people who have facing stuff. Mm -hmm. That's normal. So how would you describe the difference between pity and empathy? Pity is when you're glad you're not someone. And empathy is when you feel with someone. It's a great way to put it. Um, hmm. So you're concerned that you will be perceived as fishing for pity. Mm -hmm. As in, uh, as in people, uh, that if I openly discuss everything that people will disbelieve me um, or think that I'm trying to manipulate them. So can I offer a reason why I think this is an important discussion? Sure. So I think that people assume that their circumstances are primarily responsible for their happiness or unhappiness. Does that make sense? Did you say that again? Uh, yeah. What? So people assume that their circumstances are responsible for their happiness or their unhappiness. One of the most mind-boggling things that I've discovered is that certainly circumstances influence your happiness or unhappiness. But one of the most shocking things is that sometimes people can be in bad circumstances and can be happy. And sometimes people can be in good circumstances and be unhappy. Yep. And generally speaking, the internet loves to get their pitchforks out when there is someone in good circumstances, who is unhappy. And we sort of have this idea that circumstances, and I'm not saying that they don't influence happiness. There's data that suggests that certainly a certain amount of like financial security correlates with happiness or a sense of security. Um, so I'm not saying that they're completely independent, but I, I think it could actually be useful for people to hear about your circumstances and then also hear how you're able to be happy in spite of them. Because that's an important lesson to learn. What do you sure. think about that? Yeah, we could do that. Okay, cool. Um, so the other thing to just think a little bit about is, you know, we were talking earlier about your strategy and how there are pros and cons. And I wonder whether it's worthwhile like discussing, are there other ways? Or are there ways to deal with the cons of your strategy? Yeah, because I think that would be helpful. Can I um, just speak plainly for a second? Mm -hmm. So based on our last conversation, like, I don't know uh, what you remember about it, but I remembered a couple of things. And I think you, generally speaking, don't place yourself high enough on the priority list of what's important. And 
that's just something that I had a takeaway from last time. And I, I know that you're an amazing person and you make the world a better place. It's just, there's a part of me that is, that feels, and this is a judgment and I apologize if this offends you, that you should try to make the world a better place for you from time to time. And that's one of the big cons of your strategy that actually makes me sad is because like, it bothers me when someone can't sit still because they feel guilty and like they're letting other people down. That just bothers me. Um, and I, I, I'm trying, I don't know if that's sympathy or empathy. I'm not quite sure, but you know, it makes me sad to think that and this is going to be an exaggeration. This could be unfair, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, this is how I feel. It makes me sad to imagine you being unable to be happy with yourself unless you're doing something for someone else. Mm. So I leave it up to you as, in terms of which direction we go. Okay. And if you need me to recap a couple of options, I'm happy to. Yeah, let's, what's the two options? Okay. So, so the couple of options, one are, so the two big options are um, to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, how your life is hard and then to explore a little bit about how you can be happy in spite of difficult circumstances, mm -hmm. right? So to paint a pitiable picture, which is what you're afraid of, but then also like realize that actually we don't have to pity you because you're happy. And how do you find that happiness despite being in circumstances that other people may pity because that's huge. Like if we can understand that, like that's going to help tons of people could be the most helpful thing that we ever discover on stream, which All is right, how to be. It. Okay. So tell yeah. us about your circumstances. Uh, okay. So I have an autoimmune disorder. I okay. think about six or seven times a day, at least. Um, when I do make the time to sleep, I wake up several times drowning um, because everyone else, when they have fluid running down the back of their throat all day, like their saliva and stuff, it goes somewhere. But for me, it doesn't. And I choke on it and I kind of wake up with burning lungs and I am at a high risk of pneumonia, um, aspirational pneumonia um, and lung scarring. So I'm in pain whenever I try to sleep. I don't get a good night's sleep. And... I am constantly vomiting. I'm tired. Some days I won't be able to eat for a few days because um, my body just decides that it's not going to let any food in and that I'm just going to be sick every time I try to get something into my stomach. I um, try to get on basic things and I have a lot of responsibilities, but they're difficult because sometimes my ticks get in the way and I'll throw things on the floor, I'll smash things. I'll um, burn myself trying to cook, I'll try to feed the rabbits and just throw the food everywhere. I'll, you know, I'll punch myself in the face. I'll, and I'll be so tired and busy. And even when I try to sleep, I can't. So sometimes I'll be getting on with something and I'll just fall asleep out of nowhere and I'll wake up next to my grasshoppers or whatever. And this is the thing, like, it's really hard and it's really annoying. I've tried to have housemates because I choke on my food a lot. And if nobody's here when that happens really badly, I might not be here anymore. But the thing is, whenever I get flatmates, it goes bad. Like, people hit on me a lot. I, I've i tried having you? women. As in, like, I, I'm scared of sounding very vain. Um, I don't necessarily consider myself a particularly attractive person, but everyone I ever live with 
ends up getting weird and like stealing my underwear or secretly filming me or trying to coerce me into things. And it happens even if they're female and I've been trying to figure out what the problem is and not really getting that one right. So I live on my own now. Um, and yeah, it's risky. Can I jump in with a what the fuck? Mm. I know. I mean, the like, <laughs> I know it's annoying. But yeah, I, you, you have no idea this, the, the, the things, the things, the things. Um, recently, uh, so I had four, four or five friends. Can, I, I need a second, sorry. Like, what the fuck, Anita? <laughs> yeah, I know. But what can you do? People just steal your, like your flatmates steal your underwear. That's a routine occurrence for your flatmates. It's, help, it's happened with multiple flatmates, yes. And friends. And, is there something yeah. that we just don't understand about your underwear? <laughs> if if so, then it's something I also don't understand about my underwear. Um, but this yeah, is like, like like this is like the bathwater thing. Like I just don't understand some of these things. But maybe there's something that we don't get about what is happening right now. But yeah, my that's best, really bizarre. My best guess is pheromones. Is all like that's my mm. best guess. That's actually a, a damn good guess. Interesting. Okay. Sorry to derail so, yeah. you. I just, I could, I literally could not listen to the rest of what you were saying because my mind had a great big what the fuck bouncing around in there. Um, yeah. So I have friends who try to rush to help me, who genuinely try to support me, but it often goes awry. Um, one of my flatmates kept cooking me food and then it turned to leaving chocolates on my bed and then alcohol and then doing loads of favors for me and then secretly filming me. Um, one day I transferred some, he let me use his laptop to transfer some files and I accidentally deleted them. So I immediately went into the recycling folder and opened the first folder thinking it'd be the one that was most recently deleted, right? No, it was a motivational, it was a folder marked motivation with just loads of pictures of me that he'd taken off various social media with my ex-boyfriend cropped out of them. Um, and I was like, ah, this might be time to run. Um, but like, it, it got creepier from How there. do you feel when you open that? Uh, like, it's happened to me a few times, so like, I, I just feel this gut sinking, oh, not again, and it becomes a dangerous situation. And uh, I have this to contend with whilst trying to run my life and keep up with everything and just try to stay well. And yeah, it just puts a lot of strain on me. When that happened, I stopped coming home for like a month. I just went out and did rescue work and stayed in my office working and just got really busy and just avoided the house because that got really bad. At one point he said that if I ever got a boyfriend, he'd make me homeless. So yeah, I kind of feel like I end up in these situations a lot. Um, I, I keep, everyone goes, why do you, what kind of people are you hanging out with? And they just blame me. But my friends hang out with these people too and don't see it coming and always think that they're nice people and that everything will be fine. Some people say I should hang out with women, but one of the worst cases of this ever happening to me was a woman, and it was this year. So, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. But friendships are difficult for me because so many of them go weird like that. And so I end up on my own and struggling. And lots of people are like, why don't you ask me for help? And it's like, because I'm afraid. Everyone I pull closer, everyone I spend time with a lot tends to get strange and so i am um, coping with this alone and 
it can get a bit overwhelming and very busy. I'll have 30 or 40 things on my list. And I can see I will... why you spend so much time with animals. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, uh, my mom, my mom is another part of it all. Like she has a lot of illnesses going on. We fought for 20 something years for to get a diagnosis because she was progressively getting more ill. She would put her hand out to help me cross the road when I was little and just walk us out in front of a car. Not because she wanted us to come to harm, but because she'd have absences. She'd constantly burn food and nearly burn the house down. She'd flood the house trying to run herself a bath. And in the end, I just ended up taking care of a lot of stuff when I was really little because to not do so was pretty dangerous. To leave it up to my mum was pretty dangerous. Um, my dad was a bit, I don't know, out of it and not really there much. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad. Um, he went to hold my hand across the road, another cross the road story, um, and he still had a cigarette in my hand and I had a little burn on my hand because he just accidentally burnt me. He was a bit absent-minded, not because there's anything, he wasn't ill or anything, he's just absent-minded. So to be honest, I was happier looking after my mom and yeah, that's who I stayed with out of the two after they split. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I've been looking after her and it's been pretty intense. Um, the doctors weren't sure what was wrong with her. They suspected something neurological. At one point, they um, said that she might not have long to live and that all of the symptoms were indicating something very serious and to prepare for very bad news. Took some brain scans and then just didn't tell her what was going on for like months. And during that time, it was really difficult because um, we didn't know how long we were, she was going to be around. Um, she, they just, she kept going in. They didn't believe her. And she ended up with a tumour so large and attached to so many organs that removing it would cause more symptoms than leaving it now. Um, and she had a disease for so long that it caused brain and organ damage alongside that that could have been cured with a bit of medication within a week of her getting it and she'd have been fine. You so, said tumour? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, it's it's... I guess tumor is a, a kind of very uh, dramatic word. What the, what's the thing? What's what's the thing? Fibroid endometriosis. There we go. Oh, um, interesting. So, yeah, so it's grown and grown and grown um, off her womb and just connected to everything in inside her. And the only way to remove it now would be to remove several other organs. Um, so uh, not worth it anymore. But the side effects of it being there are quite bad. She yeah she's in a lot of pain she's barely out of bed um it's pretty serious now and there's nothing we can do so yeah those two things and trying to push for a diagnosis her constantly reporting pain me constantly going to the hospital with her going to the doctors with her having some really awful events i remember when i was little i stood in the corner of the room while the paramedics resuscitated her um and there was just nothing i could do and there was one of the one of the medics was just looking making me look at him instead of my mom and just talking to me and just keeping me talking um, because he obviously didn't, if it was going to be her last moments, he didn't want me to watch her to die. Um, so yeah, it's been a struggle and scary because the main foundation of my life, the most constant human I have in my life every day, I don't know whether she's still going to be here. And that's been the case for so long. And it's a really precarious place to be because everyone else around me comes and goes. And sometimes because of really bad things. I mean, one of my best friends became a stalker. He, um, yeah, he, he assaulted me. He slept in my back garden. He watched the house. He chased me whenever I left the house. Um, some people had from a shop had to intervene and hold him down because he just, 
Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, the only person I have in my life is someone I don't know how how long I'll, I'll get to have, and it's it's scary. And I I feel bad as well because I'm so busy taking care of so many animals and trying to keep up with everything that sometimes I'm rushed with her and I'm like, hi, uh, okay, I'll do all the things, bye. And I feel so bad because I want to, you know, I want to have these conversations. I want to sit with her. I want to spend more time with her. I do whenever I can, but whenever it's rushed, I feel terrible because I don't know, you know, is mom going to be okay next week? Is this going to be my last week? Um, do I get a few more months? Do I get a few more years? What? What's going to happen? Hmm. What's that, what's it, What's that like? Most of the time, I don't think about it, um, and I just take each day as something you're very good at. <laughs> I just feel like worrying about it won't change whether or not it happens. It just mean I suffered twice. Mm-hmm. So I just focus on being grateful for the moments I do get instead of brightly about the moments I might not get. Yeah, it also. I mean, that also sounds like something that you're good at, which is that you don't really um, let yourself feel certain things because there's no utility to them. True, but you might start to think that I I um, maybe bury these emotions, that maybe they're there causing a lot of havoc, but being unaddressed, because that's usually how people don't deal with those emotions, is that they just don't acknowledge that they're there. A lot of people who don't think they're particularly emotional are usually emotional wrecks who just can't see their emotions rather than them not being there. But with me, genuinely, I just have this thing where I can just be like, nah, and I just invest my energy and my thoughts into other ways of feeling and processing. Like genuinely, I I don't have like some, some like, I don't know how to describe it, like unseen sadness about the situation. I really, I just feel lucky that mum is here today. Sure. It, it sounds like you're, I mean, I, I'm getting a lot of genuine gratitude from you. Um, I'm kind of curious, Anita, how would you know whether they're doing what you're doing or whether they're, the emotional wreck is just buried deeper? Um, how can you tell the difference? I guess because I have repressed emotions in the past and I, 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 it comes with a very specific sense, sensation and feel. Okay. So if, so, so that's how you know you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So you, you, cause you're saying basically, I know what suppressed emotions feel like. And I used to do that. I've learned now not to do it. And it sounds to me like you're practicing some amount of detachment as opposed to suppression. Like you acknowledge the emotion, you recognize it's there, and then you sit with it for a little bit, and then you kind of choose to focus on other things, which is not quite like denial, right? It's sort of like acknowledgement, but separation, as opposed to like sticking it in the basement and pretending like it doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, uh, so, and... Recent, dis- recent, recent. Oh, can you see that behind me? Can you see my rabbit? Just there. <laughs> I saw something uh, move. Yeah, my rabbit's escaped. I'll be right back. <laughs> he destroys wires, so I have to address that right away. Hello, buddy. Where are you?
Breakfast. Thanks for waiting. Sure. I think they want to see the rabbit, but... Oh, I can grab him if you like. He's only in the kitchen. He's in the next room. <laughs> he doesn't mind. Yeah, I'll get him. Oh, wow, that's a big rabbit. No, I'm just small. Everyone says that, but he's actually quite a small species of rabbit. <laughs> I'm only five foot two, so everything looks big. Like, sometimes I'll lift up a, a normal-sized cup and people are like, where can I get that giant cup from? <laughs> <laughs> it, the rabbit is a, a boy rabbit or a girl rabbit? He's a he. I actually... So I spotted him in a rescue center up country, and me and a friend traveled all day to go and get him. Um, I thought he'd make a really good husband for my lonely girl because her partner died and I didn't think that she should have to live alone. So I went out to get him thinking they'd get on like a house on fire, but they don't really like each other. So I'm still, I've been working on it for a year trying to get them to love one another. And it's a really hard ma matchmaking process. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine that some of your former roommates feel the same way. <laughs> was that out of line? I'm sorry. Was that a dick thing to say? No, it's fine. <laughs> okay. I'm still, my mind is still boggled by the pheromones. And, and... Uh, people sniff me a lot, like in public and everything. What the fuck? Yeah. They oh sniff you in public? Mm hmm. So, like, it would be like, I have a friend, we're not attracted to each other whatsoever. One time we got really, really drunk and we all just fell asleep in a, a line adjacent on the sofa watching this movie, meal and, like, um, there'll, there'll be situations where like I'll wake up to someone asleep humping me like with their clothes on and I'm just like ugh goddamn pheromones and I'll just get up and move away like I get all of these sorts of situations all the time and it's so annoying um, but yeah like people sniff me people stalk me people get weird um, and yeah basically uh, it's, it's, it's a whole thing like I, I have thousands of stories I just don't know what to do with it anymore how do you understand why this happens to you? I don't understand why this happens to me. I don't understand why. I just understand that it does. Um, and that, you know, I've just grown exasperated with it, honestly. So it, it, it does sound quite exhausting. I'm curious, uh, do you have any other emotions that come up when you find people have been stealing your underwear or stalking you or anything like that? Besides exasperation? No, at this point, I just feel tired. Because I don't want to presume that it's going to happen again. It feels vain to presume that every single person that I ever make friends with is just going to fall in love with me and turn into a menace. And so I always give people the chance and I always give people the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I assume that it's going to be different this time. And I always give the speech where I'm like, I am not attracted to my friends. I am very obvious with my emotions. If I'm attracted to someone, I will let them know. I hate people who come on to me without me giving any signs. So I've had to dump a lot of friends because of this. And, you know, it's kind of like this big warning statement. It's kind of like a subtle, if you hit on me, I'm going to run away kind mm. of situation because I, I'm so used to it now and it doesn't work. Um, the statement doesn't work? No. Hmm. 
I mean, it's it's just like this, this background noise to all of the other trouble I have is that I'd like to have friendships that don't end in disaster. I mean, I'm one of my friends um, assaulted me. There was a witness. Unfortunately, somebody else watched it happen. Um, he was also a friend, and he did nothing. Um, I tried to go to the police, and the police did nothing. In fact, I had to report him for several other things that were relatively minor um, by comparison. For example, um, you know, sleeping in my back garden, chasing me around, following me everywhere, um, constantly trying to dox me on stream, this sort of thing. Um, mm. But then after they found out my view account and how many people knew that the police were failing me, then they took action. But he's still free. He's He's been charged, but he's still free. Um, and yeah, he still harasses me online from time to time. And I'm pretty sure he probably will come back to the house again at some point um because he always does um so yeah but he's what one do they, of many what do they see in you i don't know genuinely don't know it's not like i'm i'm a pretty average person in most respects i'm not like some supermodel that's just irresistible so i genuinely don't know why this keeps happening well there's to me. something about you that clearly is irresistible like literally like iris like not like there, I mean, like it's it sounds like people like can't stay away, and sort of it doesn't. I mean, it, it's strange, right? Because these are people that are able to have normal relationships with some of your other friends, but there's something different pheromones that that you know. And and you were kind of saying that like your friends are sort of like oh you know they think that everything's going to be okay, but they don't really understand. And like it's just a strange pattern. Um, it is. And, yeah. Do you have any idea? I don't. I've been trying to figure it out because I just want it to stop. Um, I, oh, you have no idea. Like, I've had female friends. Ah, uh, uh, I've had female friends who've done this to me too. Um, uh, I've had, like, I, <sighs> I've got like three female friends who send me drunk messages where they come on to me and then apologize the next morning. And I'm just like, oh, I'd love to hang out with you, but you know, I don't want another thing that I have to start reporting to the police or any more drama and stuff. Um, and like, I, I, so I, it doesn't matter. I, I try to watch for the pattern. I'm like, am I spending too much time with lonely people? But they could be really diverse. They can be really outgoing and have lots of friends and it still happens. Mm -hmm. They can be really popular and it still happens. Mm -hmm. They can have lots of, really attractive friends to hit on and they still hit on me um i can set up boundaries and be really clear and they'll still do it um mm -hmm. i i i i get blamed as well people are like what like what are you doing they act like it's my fault like mm -hmm. they go why do you hang out with strange people and it's like well, i don't know <laughs> anita i'm gonna say something that may sound like blaming you but but please listen carefully i know it sounds weird um, but so here's, here's what I'm hearing from you. Okay. And it's weird. So you've looked for patterns, a smart thing to do. Like, is it something about the play, the way I find my roommates? Am I, am I on the wrong part of Craigslist where I'm looking <laughs> it, it, instead of like looking for roommates, I'm like looking for love. Am I posting in the wrong area? You know? And, and the interesting thing is that like, if we think about it logically, and, you know, it seems to be independent of gender. It seems that these people are able to have normal relationships with other people. 
it seems to be that it's not like a particular ethnicity or like, you know, and, and there isn't some kind of overwhelming physical attractiveness or something like that, then, then, I mean, if it's not a factor with them, which is interestingly enough, that's what you've been saying, right? Is there's no pattern in terms of how I'm selecting people. Then that sort of suggests that it's something with you. Mm. And I'm not trying to blame you. I'm just saying like the, the case that you're making is a really strong one, that it's something with you, right? That there mm. is something, and, and it's interesting because I asked you earlier, like, why do people, you know, steal your underwear? And you were saying like pheromones, like that's not a them factor. That's a you factor. It's some, it, it, a pheromone is sort of like, I, I wonder if, so I wonder if it's actually pheromones, right? Which would be interesting. Um, cause if, if you can get multiple women unclear what their sexual preferences or sexual orientation is, but be especially interesting if they were actually heterosexual and they drunkenly message you, um, two, two of them all. Yeah. So, so, so how do we like, that's weird, right? Like, so, so then I'm not blaming you, but at the same time, I'm saying that it, it seems like, you know, the common element doesn't have anything to do with them. It has something to do with you. Mm. But then, like, it, I've tried changing my approach. There are some people who I've never met in person who I don't barely speak to. Sure, I, I think you've tried changing the things that you're aware of. Mm. Right? So, like, the question is, what are the things that you do that you're not aware of? And that's a hard question to answer because how are you supposed to know if you're not aware of them? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Fair. So let me ask you something, Anita. Do you feel like, like, I get a, a big sense of stuckness from you. I get a sense that, like, you're kind of fucked either way. Like, you know, either you start taking, like, you can't stop working because then you're going to feel guilty and letting, like, you, you know, letting people down and the emotions will overwhelm you. But you can't keep working because then you're going to be burnt out and you're not going to be able to sleep and things like that. It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. That's like a theme that I'm hearing. And it, like, even when it comes to your mom, it's like, you can try to spend more time with her. Or you can try to not spend more time with her. Like either one sort of doesn't work that she's mm -hmm. really ill and she needs your support and she may be gone tomorrow. And it, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, there's like nothing you can do. And we hear, I hear that as well from, from kind of, you know, roommates. It's like you, you try to have friends and then it's like panty sniffing backyard parties and then, or you're by yourself. And then if you're by yourself, it's like, you're going to choke on food and you're actually like, you could die. It's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, if there's one thing there that I'm hearing from you, it's like, I, I don't see how you can make a choice because no choice is good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but I've chosen, I've chosen to live alone because... I feel happier and safer. Sure, I can imagine. I mean, I, I actually I can't imagine because I've never felt the kind of danger that you are describing. I actually cannot imagine. I can try to imagine, but I, I can't even put my head in, in your in your head. What are you feeling right now? Feeling okay? Yeah. Yeah. What are you feeling? Just sad and let down. I mean, uh, just sad and let down by my friends, the ones that have turned weird, like the ones who risk 
prison to like do stupid stuff um, and ruin the friendship. The friends that would idly watch and pretend it's not happening until it's too late. And, you know, just, uh, just how often this happens and just how tired I am and just how I just can't make sense of it. And I feel bad even mentioning it because either people don't believe me or they blame me. And I've, I feel like I've tried everything. I feel like people are like, what are you wearing? And it's like, I could be wearing a full on trench coat in the middle of summer, just covering every inch of skin I possibly mm -hmm. can. And people still hit on me in the street and people still get weird with me and sniff me and constantly like, don't let me cross the road because they want to get my number and stuff. And they're like, you know, don't ignore me, bitch. And all this sort of stuff. And I just feel Ugh! like it's so hard to talk about because nobody believes it's happens. Nobody believes that this is going on. <laughs> and I just don't know what to do about it because I want to have friends and I want to feel okay. And I want to have people that I can trust. and. Sometimes I think I've found people and I will have known them for years and it will just happen out of the blue and I'm just tired. Yeah, it sounds really exhausting. Can I think for a second? Do you work with a therapist or, or mental health professional, by the way? If you don't mind me I, I used to. Back when I was depressed, I used to, but when I stopped feeling depressed, when I felt okay, I left. What do you think about seeing one again? I don't know how they can help me because I know I make very punishing lists and I know I, I keep myself busy, uh -huh. but I'm okay mentally. I think yep. that some, some of these things like um, what happened with one of my roommates um, and what happened with one of my friends recently and things like that um i don't know how i can prevent that from happening except to just keep trying and keep trusting people until i find the right ones unfortunately well so and it's hard th th that's actually exactly why i think one may be helpful because i i think that we're missing some piece of the puzzle here mm. right because what you're describing sort of just doesn't it doesn't compute there's like some mm. variable to the equation and maybe it's actually pheromones like maybe there's something about you that just drives people insane because that's certainly what it sounds like. Now, the interesting thing is that I think the reason to potentially see a therapist is for you to get someone, get a different pair of eyes besides your own to look at your situation and see if, them. yeah. I've, I've asked friends about this, people who knew the people that did this to me. And they've said that, um, sometimes uh, I'm friends with very lonely people who can be very desperate, who don't often get as much approval and attention as I'm willing to give them, and that that seems like intimacy to people who don't have that level of friendship normally, and that maybe they take it a lot more seriously than I do, that I set up my boundaries, I say this isn't romantic, and they still pursue it. Um, but also I can be very forgiving, so when perhaps someone crosses a boundary, I don't necessarily act like I'm outraged immediately when I should. Mm -hmm. And this means that whilst I'm processing whether or not I should be angry about it or act out and, you know, kind of say, look, stay away or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, they've, they've kind of said, well, she didn't get upset. That's consent sort of thing. And they keep pushing it and pushing it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I know that that's a problem, but I also know that a lot of the people that have done this to me have also been people with friends who are happy, who have emotional support, mm -hmm. who have connections. And so sometimes it does feel like, I don't know, that would be, uh, that would make sense if it was consistently the case. Sure. 
So, so I, I think that's another interesting example of like, kind of like that stuckness, right? So you're, you have reasons on the pro side, like, oh, that would explain everything except dot, dot, dot. So th there's, there's a very kind of conflicting theme through a lot of what you say. And it's kind of like, maybe it's this way, but except it's not. And the other thing I would say just very simply is that I, I don't know that friends can provide for you the same degree of support or examination that a licensed professional can, mm. right? Because they're going to be friends and they're not trained to like see patterns. Because mm. I, I, I am curious. So Anita, I'm going to ask you a question and, and I understand that this question may come across as offensive. Um, if, if it does come across as offensive, please let me know. Is there any part of you that's flattered by what they do? No, no, because I know that a lot of these guys are so lonely that if anybody else, you know, was around that gave them the same level of attention, they'd probably do the same thing. Like I've, I've learned that it's not, you don't have to be special for people to be attracted to you, that quite often guys will especially will just take what they can get and that it's not, you don't have to be beautiful or smart or funny. For, for guys to just be like, yeah, I'll sleep with you. You'll sleep with mm -hmm. me, right? Please sleep with me, right? Um, so no, it doesn't feel flattering. It feels like, ugh. It feels like I want to make friends with people. I want to have genuine connections that last. And there are always lonely dicks just getting in the way. And just like, uh, they're like do this you, blockade to Do you feel flattered by anything? That's a weird question. Yep. I guess That's when people actually comment some, compliment something that I, I, I can take credit for, like I'm not really I'm not really happy with or I don't really care about comments on my appearance. I didn't really choose my genetics, but I did choose uh -huh. who I who I am or my ethics or the way I go about life or the way that I choose to impact um animals and things like that. So I guess I can I, I, I genuinely am like, ah, oh, thank you. And I, I, weirdly, I trust uh, compliments from women more these days because I'm usually a little bit wary now after everything I've been through that, you know, I don't know off the bat if a guy is hitting on me and just trying to butter me up initially. So I'm mm -hmm. cautious. So usually when like a woman chooses to like compliment something I've chosen about myself, I'm like, wow, cool. Thank you. Um, but if a dude's like, I like your ass, I'm just like, oh. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm really happy to hear that, Anita, because I, I was a, I was growing a little bit concerned that um, maybe you don't let other people appreciate you. I have a friend. He's awesome. He's never done anything bad. He's um he's a physicist, and we'll usually get a thermos of like a hot drink. We'll go and sit by the beach. We'll watch the sunset. We'll look at the stars, and he'll tell me loads of cool facts about them because he does astro. And um, he is genuinely very complimentary, but he'll compliment actual things about me. And yeah, I do the same for him, and I really appreciate him. I think I can have a healthy reciprocal friendships. Um, they're just inc incredibly rare. Absolutely. And there's a little part of me that's had friendships like that before for years that have turned awry. So I'm still slightly on guard. Like I'm scared to like with friends like that I have like a, a few where they have like partners and stuff I won't touch them I I won't I won't hug them I won't you know I won't even let because I'm scared 
of giving any signals that will trigger that kind of behavior from like that I get from like some 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 people who've taken it too far or gone weird because it happens out of the blue sometimes s s spontaneously and I don't know what causes it and I'm just scared and there's little things like that that just really make me nervous now because I don't want to lose the friendship and I don't know what it is yet and I'm just terrified of losing people to this issue yeah I, I can I, I can see that you know there is almost like a traumatic paranoia there like it's like it's happened to you so many times that you've become so so careful that you won't even engage in like normal behaviors like hugging because you're afraid of what'll happen i mean that sounds really awful um any questions for me so far I think what let, let me just re recenter of like where we're going and why we're going. So I yep. told you about some of my illnesses and challenges. Um, I've told you about some of the difficulties with friendships and people hitting on me, both yep. male and female. Yeah. And how I feel quite isolated and how I'd like to form bonds and have people in my life, but it doesn't always pan out the way I hope. Mm -hmm. Um, so now you kind of know a lot of the stuff that troubles me and I find difficult about my existence. Some of yep. the things that I'm trying to make sense of and trying to maintain some level of happiness and quality of life through. Yeah. So can we talk about that part now? Sure. How are you happy? I think I like that I used to be very isolated and static and nothing in my life changed. And now every morning I wake up and there's just a million possibilities and I get to have a positive impact on those around me. Um, it feels powerful to be the one that rewrites a story. Like with, with, with him, with Peter, he was abandoned because he's a destroyer and he's destroyed a lot of my stuff. Um, he's quite angry. He's a little ball of hate. He looks adorable, but he's a little ball of hate. Um, and yeah. I think I'm so glad that um, I got to make him happy and give him treats and that he's going to have a great quality of life. He's going to have all the best vet care. He's going to be okay now, even though the first people to love him don't anymore. And I get to, you know, I get to talk to loads of people online. I get messages from people who are struggling. I get messages from people who've taken stuff from my stream and my coping mechanisms who are living a better life now. And they talk through what they've taken from it. And you know, I get to I get to change things for people and I get to make sure my mom's okay and I get to see a lot of positivity in the world and I get to be a part of a lot of positivity in the world. I get to laugh, I get to have a few drinks and play computers with my friends sometimes when I get the time. And uh, even though that's not as often as it used to be, I feel really privileged to have people in my life and to smile with them and to just like enjoy these moments. And I kind of feel like if I wait for everything to be perfect before I can be happy, I'll never be happy. And that... There's always going to be stuff I'm not happy with. There's always going to be something to be dissatisfied with. We're not meant to be satisfied. And I can keep on improving my life, but that doesn't mean that I'm blind to all the beauty in it. Um, and yeah, I think, to be honest, even suffering suffering is a privilege because uh, I get a short moment of life. I get a short moment to exist. And um, then I'm gone. And for most of the existence of the universe, I haven't been here and won't be here. So for the brief time that I get to see and hear and feel and think, and be 
I feel really honored to have that. I, even if not everything about it feels awesome, everything about it is awesome because experiencing stuff is a privilege. And I remember that every day and I feel really, really, really lucky to exist. Um, and I really, really feel passionate about leaving the world a better place than when I found it. And I get to do that every day. I don't know how long I have, but every day at the end of the day, I've, I know I've chipped away at that goal, I guess. And I know that I've, I've kind of not just justified being, but really loved the chance to be. And yeah, if I die tomorrow, I'm really glad that I did everything that I did because I, I, I devoted a lot of my time and energy and my power to influence the world to do things that I'm genuinely proud to have been a part of. And I have a lot of really great memories. Um, so yeah, I, I feel good. I like life. Life is awesome. Even if in order to enjoy it, you have to have some downsides sometimes. And maybe I'll figure out how to make friends with people who don't want to mate with me. Maybe that's a thing that will happen. I'm still figuring it out. I've tried a lot of approaches so far. I'll chip at it. And for the friends that I do have, the handful that have stayed and not done anything like that, I'm so grateful for them. I'm scared, but grateful. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like, I have this overall philosophy overall with the whole existence of the universe, you know, being the lens through which the universe observes itself stuff, which I talk about a lot on stream. But there's also like an underlying, um, I know what I exist for. I know the things that make me glad to exist. I know the things that feel good about having lived that I can do daily and monthly and yearly, depending on how long they take that make me grateful and satisfied. And I build, like, I've, I found stuff that is like, uh, like a bucket, like I, I like drops in a bucket that fill and stay mm. instead of constantly dripping away. So many, so many It's a beautiful analogy. Find... Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I don't, I, I don't remember anything of what I just said because I'm tired. So I don't know which part was an analogy, but cool. Um, there was a, the, the, the thing is I used to, I used to find happiness in things that used to drip away. And a lot of people do that. Like when you buy stuff, like you buy a thing and you have the thing and you're like, cool. And then you just want to buy another thing. It doesn't really make you happy and it won't matter. Like when you die, no one's going to remember that you had those shoes. No one's going to remember your opinion on drunk. Like that stuff's going to drip away and it'll probably drip away in a year. You probably won't remember what shoes you had a couple of years ago. So basically a lot of people reach for happiness and treat themselves to things that don't really build and satisfy they're just kind of like a stopgap. And I found stuff that genuinely sits, genuinely how do, is there. How do, how do you find stuff that genuinely sits? How do you I, know which drop it, drops uh, stay in your bucket and which ones drip away? Breakfast. Um, so... I remember when I had a therapist, we used to talk about this. I used to have a lot of stuff that I would do, but it wouldn't keep me happy. And I'd have to constantly be running and constantly doing it over and over again to feel any semblance of okayness. And then I started doing the things that I felt I couldn't help but do. Things that if no one paid me, I'd still be doing. If it hurt, I'd still be doing. The stuff that I can't help but do. Um, and I started allowing myself to give time to doing that more than everything else. I used to just run around looking after my mom and kind of chasing after my ex and just making sure he was okay and, and attending to everyone else's needs. When I wanted to go and do volunteering and I wanted to look after animals and I wanted to go and 
I wanted to read books, I wanted to educate myself and this sort of thing. And that's the kind of stuff that stayed and that I loved, but I wasn't allowing myself to invest in. So when I actually just let my urges free and just did exactly what I wanted, I gained experiences that I'll remember for the rest of my life and connections that I'll remember for the rest of my life, even if they don't turn out awesomely in the end. Like, I still feel really lucky about the friends that I hang out with. I have fond memories of the guy who assaulted me. I'm glad I met him. I'm glad he gave me a chance to laugh and a chance to learn and stuff. I'm, I'm sad it's over, but I'm not going to define our friendship by the way that it ended. I'm going to define it by all the things I was lucky to experience. Easy. So I guess it was worth reaching out and risking it, even though I'm really scared of people these days. Sorry. Um, I, I didn't mean to start laughing, but it just occurred to me that maybe that's the pheromones. What do you mean? <laughs> just hearing you talking about this stalker and how you can appreciate people and appreciate your friendship despite the way that it ended. That sounds intoxicating. To have someone in your life who like cheats you that way. Like, I could imagine that people are drawn to that non-judgmental acceptance and gratitude and appreciation for life, like a moth drawn to a flame. Because that is, that's rare, right, Anita? Like, most people who get stalked have difficulty appreciating parts of the relationship and expressing gratitude towards the relationship before people got crazy. Right? Oh man. Uh I I hate how I hate how right you are because like one thing that is consistent that my friends say that I can't really deny is that I'm very forgiving. Like I have this thing where oh man. So like when people fuck up, I'm like, yeah, I'll make mistakes too someday. And I, if I want to deserve forgiveness, I'll, I'm going to be understanding and empathetic and you're going through this right now. And this is what's going through your head. And I understand. I'd just like you to stop. And I'm really like gentle <laughs> and forgiving. I mean, he did a lot of stuff that built up to the assault that people kind of were like, well, why didn't you just cut it off there? And I was like, because... I was okay and you know people make mistakes and yeah I think it's the fact that I'm very forgiving that may be a, a pretty consistent component in this because I'm thinking back to all of the people all the extreme examples there was a girl who literally seduced and slept with everyone around me and sent nudes to them and all sorts because she wanted to get closer to me like the minute anyone appeared on stream with me or whatever, suddenly she was their best friend and she'd be trying to move in with them or whatever right and um yeah, it got to the point where she broke a lot of hearts and really upset a lot of people. Um, and I, in the end, I was just like, wow, you've caused a trail of devastation here, lady. Um, and she just would not stop hitting on me over and over and over. And I said no, but I was forgiving. And then she'd drunk text me and she'd say this and she'd do that. And I'd be like, mm, no, but I forgive you. It's cool. And she'd be like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I understand you're sorry. I'm sure it won't happen again. And then she'd do it again, and I'd be forgiving, and then, like, my friend would have a broken Why heart. Why are you and so I'd forgiving? You don't know? Okay. But, yeah. Uh, um, 
So can we go, uh, can I share a couple thoughts with you? Yeah. Some of them I hope will be helpful to people. Some of them may be a little bit concerning, if that's okay. Yeah. So I, I see a couple patterns here that, that I, I think it's worth your, your time to explore. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start with this. So when we were talking about how you were able to be happy despite all of this stuff, I think that that is amazing. Like that kind of pre-association speech rant about how to view the world is like absolutely beautiful to me that. And I think there's there are a couple of subtleties there. Um, and my favorite subtlety is you always use the verb get to when you talk about yourself. Which is, a, it's like, it's a little, it's like a subtle thing, but like you use that, you use the verb get. Like I get to dot, 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 I get to dot, 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 I get to dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I get to appreciate this. I get to do 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 this. And so there's, there's just a lot of gratitude, like baked into the way that you look in the world, at, at the world, which I think is a key thing because Happiness, Buddha says that happiness is not about like circumstances. It's about mindset. It's about detachment. It's about being able to appreciate as opposed to expect. So expectation leads to suffering. And like a lack of expectation is what leads to happiness. And if, if we hear your words, it's kind of interesting because I, I've never heard someone who expects a lot say I get to, because get to sounds like a privilege, right? It sounds like something extra that you get to do. It's not that like um, you're entitled to do it. Like I, I don't, I'm allowed to sit in this chair. It's my right to sit in this chair. And nowadays we tend to be, I'm not saying that this is negative. I'm just saying it's an interesting kind of consequence that I never realized. When we think about rights, right? rights are about entitlement. And rights are about expectations. And I think rights are a good thing. But there's like a big difference between being entitled to do something and getting to do something. And getting to do something is about appreciation. And what I really hear from you is that despite all of the terrible things in your life, you have genuinely found the capacity to appreciate the good. I think there's also a lot of like other really important stuff in there. I, I loved your analogy about like find like drops of happiness that drip away versus drops of happiness that stay in your bucket. And somewhere along the way that you kind of started gravitating towards things that you find fulfilling as opposed to things that bring you like temporary or materialistic happiness. Um, you, you have a very interesting, I mean, your language is just really interesting because you also use words like allow. You allowed yourself to start to do things that like you cared about as opposed to doing the things that you were supposed to do. And, and that also is kind of weird because even the things that you allow yourself to do are things that are like giving things, which we'll get to in a second. But um, and I really do think that it's been fascinating for me to hear and I hope people can kind of take away with something. I think there's an, another maybe conversation that needs to be had or exploration into like how were you able to do that, right? Because at some point you were chasing materialistic things or you were chasing temporary happiness. And then you said that I allowed myself to start to invest in things that like I should do, 
you know, for the betterment of the world and things like that. And so how did you do that? How did you be depressed? How were you depressed for 13 years? And like, what turned it around for you? Now, I don't know if that's a short conversation or a long conversation. If that's something you can like touch on for a few minutes, I think that would be fantastic. But then I do have a couple of other things that I'd like to share with you. Sure. Um, if you want to know how I got out of my depression, um, I think it was a lot of things, a lot of steps, but if I were to put it as quickly as I could, it would be in the beginnings of my life, I didn't know I deserved respect. I excused the behavior of the people around me by explaining it away. And that was important to me because I took it less personally when I understood it. It's not because of me, it's because of their upbringing, it's because of their issues, it's because of their this. And understanding psychology and researching the way that people respond to trauma helped me to feel less flawed and deserving of the aggression and mistreatment that I endured when I was younger. And that helped me until it started becoming an excuse to allow abuse. Um, what I didn't then process until much later was that it's okay to expect respect. I didn't even know what that looked like. I, I, I didn't know what it felt like to be cared about and prioritized and loved. And so I ended up in a situation of really extreme domestic violence and I was drinking to cope with it every day. Um, weirdly, I thought I maybe was an alcoholic or something, but then as soon as I moved out, I didn't drink. Like I didn't, I didn't even notice that I didn't pick up mm. anything. Um, and um, from there, I still had a lot of ways to go, but I was starting to build a better and more beautiful and environment where I could thrive and discover who I was. And then I had a lot of time throughout that whole situation to sit and listen to myself. So as soon as I had like a tiny little inch of movement to be free to do what I want instead of what other people wanted me to do for them, because I'd basically grown up being a servant in a lot of ways. Um, I didn't know what it was to have- Has that changed? I don't know yet, okay. but I am happier. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I started to notice all of these things. So I started building a better environment. I was offered antidepressants, especially after a suicide attempt. Um, I didn't survive because I failed. I survived because um, someone busted the door down and intervened. Um, and so I didn't exactly feel grateful to live. It wasn't a second thought thing. It wasn't a choice. It was a, oh, I didn't, I didn't succeed kind of situation. And I, in that, in that situation, I needed to get out. I needed to fix my environment. And when they offered me antidepressants, I was like, I don't feel like this is a problem with my neurochemistry. I feel like this is a problem with my surroundings and I'd like to change those first. So I went running to help with the neurochemical side of things. And I started fixing my life and getting to safety. And when I did, I started to expand into that little bit of extra freedom. And um, yeah, from there, I guess the next part was just thinking about the philosophical part of it and why I should want to live. I needed to have a reason. So I started thinking about what mattered to me and what was beautiful about life. And that's where the kind, kind of like universe kind of theory stuff came from. And that helped me to have like a little bit of a foundation and a backbone. And then the next part was, what will I be glad I did a year from now? Like if I look back a year from now in the future, future me, what will I be glad I did? And what will I regret wasting time on? And I started prioritizing according to the stuff that would consistently make me satisfied long-term. And when I started imagining a life in the future where I was happy, it had animals, it had stability, it had safety and all these sorts of things. So 
just by being like picturing myself happy, I knew the direction I had to go in. And I built all those things. I'm safe now. And I'm happy and I have animals and I have computer games, breakfast and breakfast. I have, uh, uh, I have all of the things that allow me to thrive and have choices. And another thing, I think the final thing is to stop trying to manipulate the world to be what I want it to be. I don't hmm. have goals and plans anymore. I go with the flow. I take what the universe hands me. I take what chaos throws at my feet and I build the best of it. There are people who get handed shit in life and they cry because they've got shit on their hands. And there are people who make it into bricks and build fucking houses. And I want to be the second kind. I want to be the kind of person who could be handed anything and see it as an opportunity. Since then, I've been incredibly happy and surprised by all the beauty that's come my way. Okay. Beautiful, Anita. So can I highlight a couple of things that I heard there? No, get out. Yeah, go for it. Um, so the first is that, like, I think it starts with listening to yourself, right? So I, I think that this is something that people need to understand is that we're taught, and this kind of goes back to the idea that people with privilege can't suffer and that people who are in, in lack privilege can't be happy. And, and I, I think that the, the interesting thing is that like a lot of times when I work with people, they assume that a particular thing is going to bring them happiness. And the interesting thing is that since they don't have it, like, like a good example is like, let's say there's a guy who's never had, uh, so I used to be this way where like, I had never really had a serious and loving relationship. And I thought what I needed to be happy was a serious and loving relationship. And the interesting thing though, is that that's not something that comes from me. That's something that comes from watching other people. So it's not actually listening to myself. It's making assumptions about what the road to happiness looks like based on what I see outside of myself. Because if, if you think that a million, being a millionaire is going to make you happy and you aren't a millionaire, then like you're not basing that on yourself. You're basing it on the outside world. Yeah. And, I, and we'll, we'll get to, I mean, I do think a loving relationship goes a long way and we'll get to that in a second. But the first thing is that, uh, you know, I was listening to your story and it sort of started with listening to yourself. It started with getting a little bit of space and listening to that voice inside you and following that direction, even in the smallest way. And then you got a little bit more space, you listen to it more and so on and so forth. Um, I think you also mentioned something like so about the power of environment and the people around you. I think so many people do not understand how much of the way they feel has so much to do with things that are given around them. Like if you live in a toxic home with abusive parents and you think that there's no way to, that you're going to be better and, the, and we get this a lot that Dr. K is the only one that can save you, you would be surprised how little Dr. K matters compared to like getting the fuck out of like your current living situation with abusive people. It can be like night and day. There are so many things about the environment, the soil that you, you put yourself in and like the air that you put yourself in and the sunlight that you put yourself in and the water that you put yourself in that will allow you to grow into a different person. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that, that you were able to really make a couple of serious steps forward that were sort of like mental, like uh, in a sense, mental health related. It sounds like you were in a dangerous and traumatic relationship, which you got the fuck out of. Um, it also sounds like you saw a trauma therapist who helped you kind of work through these things, which is awesome. Um, and then somewhere along the way, you started to like channel this like universe Buddha, 
Eastern, Western, whatever, like this sort of truth about take what is given to you, start to appreciate life and all this shit that everyone wants to learn how to do, but no one knows how do you learn how to do that. And I think the really grateful thing, I'm grateful to you, Anita, because you've given us like the story of like how that happens. And I think there were a couple of key things about basically listening to yourself, changing a couple of circumstances, really like thinking about the way that you see the world. There's a lot of self-reflection and growth as opposed to a playbook that you follow. And I think, unfortunately, that's what I've, I've found is that like everyone has to walk this journey on their own. There's no, no one can give these answers to you. You have to figure them out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can sort of get a guidebook as to how to figure them out yourself, which yeah. starts with things like listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thoughts, questions? Can I move on to part two? Can I just uh, take a note? I, I, I feel like I need to say this out loud because I have bad memory, but I remember things better when I say them. But so this conversation is kind of making me feel like I'm being a bit greedy. I feel like uh, we've touched on that I'm a bit too busy. Um, but I think an aspect that I haven't really acknowledged about it is that I don't have enough time to be all the things I want to be. And that I just am not allowing myself to settle for a few and do them well and trying to do everything. <laughs> but yeah, part yep. two. That's part two. <laughs> So we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about that right now. So Anita, I think you're an amazing person. And I still think there are some things about you that my hope is that you can get to a place of even more peace. Like I think you've attained a lot of happiness despite your circumstances and even some of your internal conflicts. And my hope is that some of those internal conflicts can even become a little bit easier on you. And let me share with you what I mean. So like the first thing is like you just said it, right? Despite all of this, you feel greedy. Sometimes you feel guilty. Sometimes you put yourself in danger. Sometimes you, you feel burnt out. Um, and I think there are like reasons for that. Like, I think there are things that you can still look at in your life in ways that you can reflect and grow. Uh, and, and maybe therapy is a part of this, maybe not. Um, where you don't have to be as burdened as you are. But I think that's going to be tough. Mm. And... I'm going to just start talking. So I think you've got to be careful about, I want to be the kind of person that dot, dot, dot. So underneath a lot of this, I think that there's a lot of genuine growth and appreciation, but there's also like, I'm getting some undertones and this may be wrong. Okay. uh, About like, you really force yourself into a particular kind of view of like, what's acceptable for you. Like, I want to be the kind of person, because if I ask myself, like, who the fuck is so forgiving? Like, and, and I wonder if, if somewhere in there is that, like, you want to be the kind of person who can be forgiving. And so you become the kind of person who's forgiving, even though maybe you shouldn't be so for, for, forgiving. But it's almost like you hold a standard for yourself that's so high that you don't allow yourself to, like, hold negative qualities. What do you think about that? Can I just think for a second? Absolutely. (laughs) It feels like with the forgiving thing in particular, it's not so much a standard that I'm trying to cookie cutter fit into you. I'm not contorting myself out of my own rage. I think it comes from a position of empathy. I kind of feel like 
I was late to the social scene. I was socially awkward and dumb. Um, luckily, I didn't have social media at the time, so no one can hold some like ancient tweets against me or whatever. But I was not. I was clueless, um, and I needed to be forgiven to have the chance to grow and learn to be fun to hang around. I needed the chance to be able to see what a good friend is and receive friendship and connection before I could be a good friend and and connect. And so I really relate to people who are messing up. I really relate to people who um, come to me and they bungle our interactions in some way or are inappropriate or cross boundaries or don't know that something isn't right. Because to me, it doesn't feel like an offense or an attack. Initially, I don't feel scared or I don't feel, you know, the feelings that I should feel. What I feel is that this person needs help. I don't feel like, oh, no, I'm in danger. I should call the police. I okay, think. so so let's, sorry, can I interrupt for a second? Why don't you feel the feelings that you should feel? I I don't know. I don't know why, but I'm. I, you've made me very aware that I... I think what causes these extreme situations is that I keep giving people chances after they show that maybe I should let them go. I think I think it's that I keep giving people the benefit of the doubt when I'm when deep down I know what's happening. Like I keep giving yeah, people so chances. I, I think the the hard thing here, Anita, is that in a bizarre way, I think maybe your goodness needs to change. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna build on this hypothesis a little bit, okay? And I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be a good person, but I think that you are a good person at the detriment to yourself. And and that's something that as someone who also feels empathy and caring, and as someone who cares about a lot of people, when I see you, I see you cannibalizing yourself for the sake of other people. And that hurts me to see. But I don't know that that causes dissonance in me. I, breakfast, I, I eat breakfast. I, I don't... I don't... I don't think it does cause dissonance within you. And that's actually what bothers me. I know it's weird. Hear me out. Okay. So, um, so the first thing is that like, I just could be wrong here. Okay. I just could be wrong. I just don't, this is something that, and Anita, there's one thing you've demonstrated to me, and that's an amazing capacity for self-reflection, exploration, and growth. And so I am going to trust you to know all I'm going to give you is something to think about. And if you explore it and then you are, uh, conclude that what I'm saying is like not really applicable, fine. I think there's a decent chance of that. Um, but let me just tell you like a couple of other patterns, okay? So the first is, is, is that there is this pattern of, of like stuckness of sort of like, okay, like I'm a good person. I help lots of people. You take care of your mom. You take care of bunnies. You take care of... Those people who used to be loved and are loved no longer. Noble spirit. Beautiful. Amazing. Right? And then, on the flip side of that, there's also some amount of guilt or feeling like you're letting people down if you sit still. There's a sense of burnout. You're kind of like a fixer. You're like the person who never gives up on other people. What are you feeling right now? Feeling okay? Yeah, I'm okay. What are you feeling? Uh, Just squeezed just awkward yep i had a feeling this was going to happen so i tried to apologize ahead of time so stick with me if you can if it becomes uncomfortable let me know okay um and i'm absolutely going to squeeze you so i'm going to keep squeezing and you got to let me know if i'm being a dick okay okay one second uh my bunny's getting too hot on my lap so i'm just going to put him away great 
Sometimes we got to hit the pause button. Anita, are you okay if I keep? Oh. You okay if I? Are you okay if I keep squeezing, or or should we stop? Yeah, it's fine. It's okay. fine. Okay. Okay. You'll let me know if it's not okay. Yes. I'm okay. Um. So you know, it's interesting because I, I, I mean, I see that like you know, you're clearly a good person, and yet you have some of these negative feelings, which it, it sounds like you kind of manage by chunking them up and and dealing with them a piece at a time, which sounds like a really good strategy. There are a couple of other things that, so if we look at a lot of the different things that you do, there's like sort of a good side and a bad side, right? Like taking care of your mom has a good side and it has a bad side. Generally speaking, the good side is for other people. The bad side is for you. That tends to be how your relationships work, right? So if we look at like the stalkers, like they benefit from your, your saintly forgiveness. And that comes at the cost of you sometimes being like in situations that are dangerous. And you, you are just, you're such a good person. And sometimes it, it, honestly, it scares me how good of a person you are because anyway, so, so I, I don't know where that relentless positivity comes from. I think a lot of it is, is very, very genuine and, and comes from, because I, I, I hear absolutely like the result of genuine reflection and appreciation for what life has given you. And it's, it's beautiful to watch. And I also wonder, like, I don't know if this is just me being cynical, but I also wonder if there's some amount of yourself that won't let you be less than what you are. Because it sounds like when you stay still for a minute, feelings, negative emotions start to come up, and then, like, you don't want to let yourself feel that way. And then we get to a couple of other, like, just interesting things, okay? So there are ups and downs to most things in your life. It kind of goes back to this idea of being stuck where, like, you know, you can't eat or like you can't, you need to have flatmates because like sometimes physically, like it sounds like for a safety issue, like you need to have people around in case you choke. And at the same time, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because whenever you do have flatmates, they start, you know, burgling your underwear and, and the pheromones and things like that. So it's kind of like damned if you do and damned if you don't. So the two other things that I'd really think about is like, that's a pattern that I see in so many parts of your life. So there's one part that I don't see this pattern, which is in the burgling of the underwear and the obsessional worshipfulness of Anita. And so the, 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 the cynical part of me wonders like, what, what's the positive of that side of the relationship, right? Because everything else in your life has like a good part and a bad part. Mm -hmm. And the people obsessing over you seems to be all bad. But generally speaking, I don't think that patterns, like like you said, like the patterns that you have have pros and cons, right? They're the adaptations that you've formed. And it is very possible that there is something like purely physiologic about you and your pheromones that does this. But there's a part of me that says that we would be like, it would be remiss if we did not consider what are you getting out of this? Like, where's the positive here? Or is this just the one dimension of your life where there's just negative? Because generally speaking, I think patterns persist because they do something for us. And even the most bizarre negative patterns still do something for us. 
And a good example of this is like abusive relationships. Because like people ask, like, you know, why do people stay in abusive relationships? And I'm sure you have some thoughts about that. But sometimes it's like, like when I, I remember talking to a couple of people who've had trauma and what they shared was that like the idea that they would rather be with someone who they know is abusive than sort of take the chance with someone who isn't abusive and then one day may become abusive. Yeah. I, and, I don't know if I relate to that one reasoning, but yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's different for different people. But I mean, it, it, it's really bizarre things. And earlier on stream, we were talking to someone who was embroiled with some of this sexual harassment stuff. And it was bizarre to discover that part of the reason that she did not speak was not out of fear or power dynamics, but was actually out of love, which is like yeah. strange. Like that's not why we think women remain silent when it comes to yeah. sexual harassment and assault. Mm -hmm. and, and my point is that like, it's just, it's, it's too persistent of a pattern I think there's some order to it. And mm -hmm. could it be physiologic? Absolutely. Could it be that like you evoke something? So here's another hypothesis, for example, that you evoke something very, very like primordial and almost like carnal in people. That there's something about the person that you are and, and kind of the light that you give off and the gratitude that you bring and the forgiveness that you bring that just like, some people's like brain just can't handle it and they start to get confused about their relationship with you. I think there could be a bunch of hypotheses. But the the real the real question that I think could offer growth if it happens to be true is like what are you getting out of it? Mm. And and in a in a bizarre way and and maybe I'm projecting here because I have felt this way before that like the more the harder the worse people treat me, the greater I become if I forgive them. And bizarrely, that ended up being about my ego. Not about me being a good person, but about convincing myself that I'm a good person. And I this... Really, I, I don't know if I relate to that one particularly, yep. but you are making me step back and observe how I, how I feel when I interact with these people that kept pushing my boundaries as I allowed them to do so and kept forgiving them. And I don't think I felt like a better person. I felt an encroaching sense of unease and scared, like fear, like not fear of being harmed, but fear of losing them. Like I felt like every, every step I was like, ah, don't do that. Okay. Cause I'm going to have to not be friends with you one day. So I'm going to forgive you. And I understand why this happened, but you have to stop now. And I'd be so gentle because every step of the way, as they step closer and closer and I keep stepping back and back, I, I feel scared of losing them i feel like i really enjoy playing computer games with this person i really enjoy having friends and building connections i'm so proud of myself being able to actually connect with people because it was so hard for me before and i really want this to continue and i don't want this to be what it's becoming and i don't want to acknowledge that it's becoming the same pattern i don't want I don't want this to go this way. I'm going to keep giving you chances to take it in another direction, please. And I don't feel good about it. I feel weak. I feel degraded because I am surrendering my self-respect. I, I know deep down that I should be able to just say, I don't like this, you know, don't do this to me. But I feel like I would rather feel humiliated. I'd, I'd rather feel like a soft touch and feel like, ugh, I'm being really weak here 
then keep losing people and keep feeling like I can't connect and keep feeling so alone. I just feel, I think I fear, I fear the loss more than I fear the situations I end up in. I fear, I, f I fear losing these people more than I fear the assault. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And, and then the other interesting thing there, Anita, is it's not just the fear of losing people. It's the fear. I mean, it, the, uh, once again, a hypothesis, right? So I trust you. So I, I encourage you to think about this. It's, it may not just be the fear of losing people. It may be the fear of becoming the person who loses people. Does that make sense? I think I need you, you to expand on that. So you used to be someone who couldn't form relationships with people. Mm. Right? And now you've become someone who forms relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's not about the loss of an individual relationship. It's about rewinding and going back to square one and being back to the person you used to be who can't form relationships with people. I wonder if that's really what you're afraid of. It's not the loss of a particular relationship. It's about like the, like, cause like I, I just, I'm getting this vibe from you that this is about you as a person. It's not about them. It's about you. And, and anyway, so you guys, just, you just got to think, I mean, think through it. And I, I think you'll know, and I, I trust whatever your answer is. So is it about the loss of that particular relationship and like maybe there's something with abandonment there or is it about is it about becoming going back to the person that you used to be because that would make a lot of sense to me that you are fucking terrified of losing what you've gained losing your gratitude like if there was one motivator that would trump all other motivators if I had to hypothesize for you it's about losing what you've gained because holy shit Anita you've gained so much through sweat Blood and tears. And if anything could possibly take that away, I this is my empathy speaking, I would be absolutely terrified. Absolutely terrified. Because you have gained so much. You have triumphed and climbed mountains and loved an appreciation for life where people are stealing your underwear. You wake up every day with aspirational pneumonia. You can't eat because you vomit. You punch yourself in the face and you have emotional moments of rage. And somehow you have triumphed over this shit. And there's a chance that something can take this away. Uh-uh. No fucking way. You will deal with as much abuse as they have to give, but you're not going to slide back on, on the road that you've traveled so far. That would make sense to me. Doesn't that, make it true. It does make a lot of sense to me too. Yeah. I think it's not just about losing them. And I do mourn them. I miss those friends that I've yeah. lost to these situations. But I, yeah, I am terrified of, the, of being an isolated person again who sees people outside the window having fun and enjoying summer and just seeing every moment slip away and not being able to connect and feeling really alone and feeling like I'm losing, like my life is dripping away while I sit here too afraid to connect and live and do things. And yeah, a lot of things that I do are about our fear of, of sliding back into that trap again, of being in those same four walls for years. Cause I was agoraphobic too. Um, 
so yeah it stands to reason that not 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 being accepting and, and not being forgiving and not trying to rectify the issues in my friendships even when it's beyond repair yeah it does feel like i'm sliding back to that place like it's weird right because it's like you're not yeah, because I mean, you know, they're beyond repair. So there has to be something really powerful and oddly enough, I think positive and keep it because like if you think about it, who puts up with that much weird shit? There's got to be something to balance those scales, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the relationship to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the last thing is, and this is this is where I, I hope for you, because I think that on some level, you processed a lot of emotions, but like, I think this part of you somewhere along the way you still haven't been able to feel secure enough that you're not going to go back there because Anita, you're not going to go back there. I don't think you're going to go back there. I think you're just a different person. I don't think that any amount of anything can take you back there. And I would love it if you could somehow come to understand that and feel secure in that and be free of that fear. Because like, there's still a lot of stuff that you're like, I think, holding on to and, and suppressing. And it sounds like you've got a pretty good strategy for kind of chunking up and managing it over time. And and at the same time, I still see you carrying a burden that I wish you didn't have to. And I want to believe that one day you'll get to put that burden down. Yeah. The last thing is that if you do have suppressed emotion, um, it's going to make your autoimmune stuff worse. So this is a generally like known thing that like, you know, uh, psychological distress makes autoimmune disorders worse. And that's not, it's not psychological. There's something called psychoneuroimmunology, which is like a fascinating field, which looks at the relationship between your mind, your brain, and your immune system, and generally looks at the dysregulation of your immune system based on psychological insults. And, and so the, the last thing that I would hope is that, that if you can continue moving on the path that you're moving, I would hope, cause it sounds, I, I mean, I don't know what your autoimmune disorder is, but it sounds like it's fucking awful. And it also sounds like, you know, generally speaking with autoimmune disorders, we don't really have great treatments where you take a pill and that shit goes away. And yet I've seen a lot of hope with people with autoimmune disorders because they wind up in my office and then we help them psychologically and, and then their autoimmune stuff sort of gets better. And, and so I really hope that your autoimmune stuff can get, get better too. And I hope I, I just, well, cause Anita, you're such an amazing and remarkable person. I think it like, it makes me sad. And I think this is maybe a little bit pity and I apologize for feeling that way. It's just how I feel like, I, like I, I think, I'm not trying to pity you. It's just, it's just how I feel. Like I feel sad for you. And I I feel like you don't deserve to feel like for everything that you've gained, I think it's incredibly unfair that at the edges, you still have chunks of guilt and chunks of fear and chunks of like maybe other shit. I don't know. Cause you are like, you make the world such a better place by your existence. And I feel like, you know, the people who are deserving of those chunks of negative emotion are the assholes. <laughs> They're the panty thieves. They deserve <laughs> to feel that way, not you. Which isn't fair and isn't true, but that's just the way that I feel. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate 
you know, the, uh, it's so nice to speak to someone, especially about the whole panty stealers thing without judgment. It's such a hard arena to come forward about this sort of stuff because it only ever evokes hate. Um, people assume that it's my fault hate. or that I'm doing something wrong. And I'm. it's so good to hear, to talk to someone who wants to help me understand what's going on and fix it rather than just blame me. Yeah. I mean, the most inappropriate thing that I feel about the panty stealers thing, can I share? It's going to be a little, maybe a little bit humorous. Is just like <laughs> this, this bizarre curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like, like what's going on there? Anyway, I, I don't mean to, to devalue like, cause, cause it is, I mean, it's, it's a remarkable pattern. Yeah. I've never heard of this before. Anita. And Ugh. anyway, I, 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 I apologize for not meeting you where you were emotionally there in that moment. No, no, no. I, it's fine. Like, I, I, I joke about it quite often, too. Yeah. It's just like, I've been through so much regarding it recently with multiple people, not just the panty stealing, but, you know, the pushing of boundaries and just the weird people, yeah. the weird things that people do that I'm just like, oh, I would joke. I've got so many jokes about it. You wouldn't believe. But I've been laughing this off for years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right Still now I'm just like, terrible. oh, you have no idea, dude. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so yeah. much. It's just so much. I, don't, I think it doesn't make it, but get, I think being a streamer kind of contributes quite a bit. I mean, I get people who DM me who are like, can I pay you 350 euros to have 15 minutes live stream of the repeat and things. So like, I think it's really hard to differentiate when people first make friends with you. They're not like, hi, I'm secretly planning to get to marry you, but you don't know that yet. And I totally not into you. Okay. <laughs> We're just friends. And like, so I, I, I think that there's a higher risk factor of it now, just because I'm a streamer and you know, it's just something It's a side effect of streaming. So it's, I think it's probably not going to go away. Even if I figure out my the, the aspects of it that you yeah. really highlighted and helped me with, I think it's just a side effect of what's going on with me now as well. Um, but at least when I stop streaming, there'll be hope that you know I can reduce this and kind of get back to kind of like a very safe, respectful level with people again. Well, assuming it isn't pheromones. <laughs> yeah, of- I mean, my mom's fifty and she's still getting it. Like every carer we've gotten has fallen in love with her, and like men would fight Holy over shit. her. Yeah, like two guys. I remember when I was a kid, two guys bent down to kiss a hand at once, and they both banged heads against each other. It was hilarious. But I have so many stories like that. My mom has it worse because she's very, very beautiful. She's um, fifty. She looks like my younger sister. She, um, everyone just is, is is infatuated with her. It's ridiculous. Um, so she has it a lot worse than me um, in terms of that level of attention. Um, so I've, I, I, I guess I, I was scared as well because you know she hasn't ever. She's just stayed away from people has been her coping mechanism, <laughs> and I really didn't want that to be mine. Interesting. Yeah, that that gets me even more curious because like that's like I mean there could be something genetic. Yeah, I mean, she's she traced our family history and a lot of our the women in our family, like from back when from the ancient Celt level, used to be sold off to marriage to nobles and things because we were notorious for having a lot of women that attracted a lot of male attention and that you know that they were all different body types and they were all different you know age groups and stuff. Um, and it's not like we all look the same or act the same. We're all very, very unique people from each other. And yet this still happens to us. Hmm. So I, I don't know. Sounds like some, so, something, something special there. There's some, some kind of special sauce. 
it's interesting but you know it, yeah. it caused problems like she said that two of our family members in our history were burned as witches um and that the story that runs in our family is that there were just some jealous women in the village whose husbands and partners took an interest in them so they accused them to get them out of the way so it doesn't it's not a good thing it's not a fun thing <laughs> no it certainly doesn't sound fun <laughs> it sounds so, yeah. you know remarkable but not fun i can't you know thankfully yeah. there's the, but the, the, yeah, they're, they're all a lot more better, a lot better looking than me. A, a lot of my family, there were some really gorgeous women in my family. Mm. Um, I wish, I wish it had been more a positive thing for them, honestly. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, uh, this was awesome. I don't want to eat away your time. Um, I'm actually quite excited to you. see what you can do for this kid in his project. Yeah. So thank you very much, Anita. I, I really appreciate your openness and, and I hope I didn't say anything that was out of line. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, and I apologize if I did, I apologize if I made off-color jokes or, or made you feel squeezed. Um, <laughs> I gave consent. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think sometimes, you know, there has to be a little bit of discomfort when we look at the parts of ourselves that we just haven't looked at before. And, and I hope that that was okay. And I hope it's helpful to you. And I'd really re uh, think about maybe exploring this with someone who is a professional just to see if it's valuable because, uh, Anita, you're so self-reflective on your own. It's like, I mean, a professional is just going to be accelerant to anything that you would do on your own. And it sounds like you make really good use of that time. So I'd, I'd really think about getting, you know, thinking about that. Thank you. Um, well, I, what you've given me is a lot. And I think it may really help me to set better boundaries and be safer. So you know, I really appreciate you and everything you've done for me. And I hope people who've been listening have taken something good from it as well. And uh, yeah, with that, I'll uh, 